Well, welcome, JFC. I want to welcome in all of our campuses and say thank you to everybody who is coming out and joining and celebrating Jesus with us this weekend. I have the great pleasure, as you guys heard on our video, our JFC News, I have the great pleasure and honor to be able to introduce our guest speaker, Pastor Jonathan Wiggins, this weekend. Some of you guys may know that name because Pastor Jonathan Wiggins, this is his third time uh, to come and bless us with the Word of God at each and every one of our campuses. And every time he has come here, he truly has brought that, the Word of God. He is an anointed man, an anointed teacher. In fact, um, his teaching, I believe, has been expanding. Um, he's gone all over the world, been teaching here within the U.S., and been bringing the Word of God uh, in such awesome and powerful ways. Uh, you may also know his name because Pastor Jonathan Wiggins um, is also the senior pastor of Resurrection Fellowship, and Resurrection Fellowship is actually the church that our own senior pastor, Pastor John Leach and Pastor Chris Leach, came from when they came and launched Jubilee Fellowship Church. So we have an awesome relationship with Pastor Jonathan Wiggins, as well as Resurrection Fellowship up north. Um, they have been a blessing to us in many different ways, being so generous to bless our children's ministries here as we were going through a build-out phase, um, specifically at our campuses. And so it's an awesome thing that God has done here, and we are graced with the blessing because I believe he has the word of the Lord for each and every one of us this weekend. So here's what I want to do. Across all of our campuses, I would love it if each and every one of you guys would put your hands together for a warm welcome for Pastor Jonathan Wiggins this weekend. Wow. JFC, how are you guys doing? Who's happy? Awesome. I want you to know you look good. I see Jesus on you. I uh, think it's one of those uh, days you need to uh, break the ice and pay each other a compliment. So I want you to turn to your neighbor. Go ahead and look right at him. Look at him. Make eye contact and repeat after me. Say, I can see you in your future and you look much better than you look right now. I am so uh, honored to be here, and uh, I tell you, uh, Pastor John and uh, Chris, the, the leeches, Pastor John is one of my favorite pastors in the world, and he's one of my favorite human beings, and as uh, Marcus was just honoring me with the introduction, I can tell you this, it's no mystery where the culture uh, to honor comes from. I've been around Pastor John enough to see him. This man is so gracious, and he honors people, and he's generous and kind, and so I, I'm honored to be here and, and stand in for him. Uh, this weekend. He's a great man. And if you agree with that, you'll say amen really loudly right now. Amen. Okay, very cool. And I want you to know I am uh, super pumped to have my bride, Amy, here. Would you just stand up and wave to everybody? And my girls, uh, Sarah and Maddie, would you guys stand up and wave to everybody? And uh, Sam likes you. Uh, he's 10. He's, he likes you. He's my youngest, but he didn't really care to be in here. He wanted to hang out with the kids. And so he's Hanging out with the kids. And then my oldest, uh, Nathan, who's about to uh, go off to college. That's my first rodeo. Uh, he's, he's heading off, so he's, he's too busy, you know, to do the little family things right now. And so yeah, he sends his greeting, and uh, we're just thrilled to be here. And I want to read you a couple scriptures, and then we'll get into a message that, that I'm calling Rise and Build. And so uh, let's read these scriptures. Nehemiah, too, he's an amazing builder. We're going to hear some words of Nehemiah, and then we're going to hear some words from Solomon in Psalm 127. One, Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20, the words of Nehemiah, this builder. He says, but when Sanballat, everybody say Sanballat, Sanballat. Uh, the Horonite, and Tobiah, everybody say Tobiah, Tobiah. the Ammonite official and guest of the Arab heard it. They mocked us. This is Nehemiah saying he was trying to partner with God in building something and it drew ridicule. The NIV actually uses the word ridicule and they despised us. Verse 20, so Nehemiah says, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, 
will arise and build. And then another great builder, Solomon, said this in Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. What I want to do is talk to you today about a kingdom that wants to build and partner with you and me in building our lives into lives of kingdom significance. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just pray a prayer of blessing over JFC, over Pastor John and his family, over everybody, every camp, campus who's watching, and every person who's watching from home. Father, I just pray a, a, a sense of your nearness and your presence and a call to partner with you, Lord, that each one would hear that call to partner with you and build a life of kingdom significance. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. What I want to do really is Look at the life of Solomon. He was a great builder. And I see three things that Solomon did. You know, in all of Israel's history, and, and uh, I, I love Israel, I love uh, the Jewish people, I love the history. In fact, the Bible says that the history of the Jewish people, everything that happens to them, happened to them in history, is uh, instructive. It's for the example for people like you and me. And so I love to dig into the Old Testament and find some truths that help me live better and enrich my life and then maybe help other people. And so uh, in, in this theme, I, I went through this life of Solomon. And Solomon was a leader who had tremendous favor and blessing. And under his leadership, Israel came to this golden age in all of their history. They've never had such a pristine and successful season, such a peaceful season uh, in history before or since. And I really connect the success in this golden age of Israel with three things that Solomon built. Now, he's the one who said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so I believe because he understood this, he partnered with God in building three things that contributed to uh, really an export of great influence around the world uh, for his wisdom, for his ideas, but also kind of the witnessing of the gospel, if you will, at least the Old Testament, about how great the God of Israel is and the great impact that Solomon's rule and reign had around the world. So I want to talk to you about three things that Solomon built, and I think we can learn really four lessons uh, for our own lives. And so the first thing he built, of course, we all know, Solomon built the great temple. His father, David, uh, asked the Lord, please let me build you this wonderful house. And the Lord said, no. Uh, he, honestly, kind of the reason is, is bloody one. He said, you've killed too many people. You've hurt too many people. And the first thing I want to say to you, if you want to build a life with God, you need to understand that God connects the quality of our relationship with him with the quality of our love for other people. And so you see the Lord saying, I know, David, you honor me. You want to build me a house. But the fact is, you've spilled too much blood. And so the next generation, Solomon would rise up a man of peace. And God would say, you're the one who will build my house. And so I want you to see first thing that Solomon built that began to contribute to this golden age for Israel was he built a place where God was first place. So write this down. A temple is a place where God is given first place. And so in our life, we really have a choice to build a life in which God is first place or build a life in which we are first place. Well, Solomon built this house and he said, okay, God is going to be premier in this house. Now, as a New Testament believer, you see a connection with the temple with Jesus' own words. There would be a time where Jesus was challenged on his authority by some religious people. And he would say, destroy this temple 
and I, re- I will rebuild it in three days. And so Jesus actually, if you knew it to look for there, the, the, the legalistic people were a little confused, but he was saying that there's a prophetic connection between Jesus Christ and the house of God in the temple. Jesus was saying, I am the house. I am the place. I am the way to make God first place. And so I see a New Testament kind of revelation in Solomon building this temple. Uh, The opportunity is for you and me to put Jesus Christ in his proper place in our life so that our life becomes a temple. Now, I say this first of all the things Solomon built, the temple, and this idea of Jesus being a foundational point because we see time and time again, please catch this, where Jesus is in his proper place in our lives, there's stability and there's a solid foundation on which we can build a life of kingdom significance. If Jesus is not in his rightful place, then you can't build a life of kingdom significance. Make sense? Same thing in a church, by the way. Many times as pastors, we've got to get back to that place, our first love, and say, Jesus, you must be the cornerstone. The Bible says that the foundation of the church are people, apostles and prophets. What? People are flaky. People are moody. I am riddled with insecurities. How can you, have a, how can you uh, be the foundation of churches if, if you're just people? Well, it goes on and it says, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. You see, when Jesus is in his rightful place, there's stability. And no one knows this more than, more than Peter. Peter's on the boat, right? And, uh, and Jesus is walking on the water because he can do that. And, uh, and he calls Peter out of the boat to step out in faith. I don't know if you've heard this before, but faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, and he steps out in faith and his focus was on Jesus Christ. And he puts his feet on something that had, listen, it wasn't stable. It shouldn't have supported him, except his focus was on Jesus Christ. And when his focus was on Jesus, that water was like granite underneath his feet. Instability came to Peter when he took his focus and his faith away from Jesus. Then that that stuff stopped acting supernaturally and started acting naturally. You guys hear what I'm saying? When we make Jesus Christ first then there's tremendous stability in our church, tremendous stability in our families, tremendous stability in our lives, and we can begin to build on top of this foundation of giving God first place and Jesus Christ being first. The cornerstone, the cornerstone. In fact, Jesus would say of himself that this revelation of who Jesus really is, on this rock, he says, I will build my church. And so if you want to build a life, partner with God, In building a life of kingdom significance, it starts by making Jesus Christ that chief cornerstone in your life, that foundation point. Good? All right. And so we see this in the life of Solomon, building a temple and a house for God. He gave God first place. But that's not the only thing Solomon built. And this stuff just fascinates me. I love this. For all of history, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, had been landlocked. They had been uh, uh, sheep herders. They had had cattle and goats and farms and crops. They had been locked to the land. And, and one day this king named David, Solomon's dad, would see something in a new frontier. And just over the edge, you know, where the beach is and the, uh, uh, and the shore, he would look out on the waters and he would see these ships. And other nations had navies. They had navies. They had ships. And they would go out and do commerce. And King David saw that, and I believe he wanted it because I see this in the book of Psalms. He says, those 
who go down to the sea in ships, who do business in the great waters, see the wonders of the Lord and his work in the deep. And so David saw that, hey, there's a new thing. There's a new strategy that God is, there's glory there. There's opportunity there. And no doubt Solomon, his son, growing up in that household would have heard this. But it wasn't until Solomon's generation that he partnered with a man named Hiram. Now, Hiram was a friend of his dad's, David, but he was also a friend of Solomon when Solomon became king. And they began to really uh, uh, be strategic about their friendship. And they started resourcing each other's vision. And the Bible says that Hiram sent sailors uh, to Solomon's uh, people and started teaching them how to sail, teaching them, guys, Sailing doesn't sound like a big deal to you and me, but back then it was like the NASA space program. I mean, they were going beyond their known realities and people were seeing things that they really were all about legend. And so Solomon was walking in the reality of the dream of his father. I want you to know something, leaders, you and I have the opportunity to step into new seasons and new strategies. Timeless message, timeless truth, but there are times God calls new leaders and and, uh, different people into new seasons where we do things that the previous generation didn't do, but it turns out that what we're doing is the answer to their prayers. And David said, I see the glory of the Lord out there. But for whatever reason, David didn't get to that place of creating a navy, building a navy, even though he had the friend that had all the resources. Now, so one of the lessons I want to tell you from this idea of the navy is, you know, we, we know we need to make Jesus Christ first place. When is the last time you and I reevaluated or took inventory of our friendships? Who is in your life? Who do you spend your time with? And are those people, people that help you and me step into God's best plan for our lives? Or can we be really honest and say some of the relationships we have distract us from God's best? Solomon saw that friendship and recognized this guy can help me move forward with the dream of my father and built this navy. I won't take time to talk a lot about this, but I just want to challenge you. While you're making Jesus Christ first, don't kid yourself. Also take an inventory of your friendships. Because if you want to be radical, right, and step out in obedience to Jesus Christ, you also have to be radical in connecting with people who are just as crazy for Jesus Christ as you are, who want to change the world, And the people that you're around, the people that you connect with in relationship, you become like them. So that's one of the lessons we learned from this Navy, is that Solomon strategically used a friendship to go further than he ever had before and to build something great. But the second thing we learned, check this out, Solomon had to redirect all kinds of resources to make this happen. Some of his best people, as a leader, if you are a CEO of a company or manager, you know to launch a major new initiative, you have to say no to some other things and reprioritize some things. True? Okay, so this friend Hiram basically had the permission as a friend, as a godly friend, to speak into Solomon's life and say, okay, yes, there's potential and there's this new vision out here, but you also have to look, what are you going to stop doing? And the counsel of his friend was, Probably, this is just speculation on my part, but I can tell you I've experienced it myself. Sometimes wise friends hurt us for our own good. And they say things that, ah, listen, just about nine months ago, a year ago, I got this phone call from a dear friend of mine, and he said, I want to set up an appointment. Now, this is not an appointment kind of relationship. This is a guy who just, 
usually would, you know, call me up and, and we're, you know, friends, but he set up an appointment. Ladies and gentlemen, when a friend of yours sets up an appointment, it's time to be nervous. And so I, I thought, okay, well, we'll do this. And so we went to have uh, 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 lunch together. While we're sitting there, uh, let me just say this. Confession is good for the soul, but it's terrible for the reputation. I'm going to confess something to you. Um, this friend of mine said, hey, I've seen something in your character. It had to do with forgiveness and some things. He said, I've seen some things that really has troubled me. And, and I want you to know I'm not angry. And he started to get kind of emotional. I'm not leaving the church or anything like that. I need to say something that's going to hurt you, but it's because I love you. And when he said what he had to say, I got defensive because I had good reasons to feel the way I did. And then I got kind of sad that I got emotional and it was so hard. Why? Because it was true. What he said to me was true and it hurt so bad. If you want to build a life of kingdom significance, you need to make Jesus Christ first. You need to make sure you have the right people connected with you in relationship. And then those people need to have permission to step in. And the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, we make each other better. But not until we give each other permission to hurt us. And so number two, if you're writing this down, the second thing he built was a navy. And we learn to form friendships strategically like Solomon did and let those friends speak wisdom into our lives. And we really have a choice here to activate and deepen relationships to accomplish vision. You know, your friends aren't just to entertain you. You can have kingdom purpose in your relationships. Okay? You can embrace new things. And, and in Solomon's case, it was new technologies. Or you can just defend good enough and cling to yesterday's vision. But I think God has a better way. Form relationships strategically. Embrace new technologies and walk in today's glory. King David saw there's the wonder of the Lord out there on that water. But it was Solomon who stepped out into something that had never been done before. And it was glorious. And I will tell you why I bring this up to you. Building a navy was cutting edge at the time. But more importantly, this is how Solomon began to export his influence. And these sailors would go out all around the world, around the Horn of Africa, past the Pillars of Hercules, to, to a place called Tarshish, uh, the port of Cadiz in Spain, which was the end of the known world. And these sailors would go out and they would trade things. He had some ships called the ships of Tarshish that would only come in every three years. And the Bible says they would bring apes and peacocks. I mean, that would have been like the field trip that comes to you, you know, <laughs> the most exotic things and spices. But they didn't just trade things. They traded ideas. And they didn't just try ideas. Uh, they talked about their king's wisdom, King Solomon's wisdom. And this is how his fame began to spread around the world. But more importantly than that, they talked about Solomon's God. And this, these sailors were like evangelists that would go around the world and they would talk about there's a God in Israel and this king has tapped into this source of wisdom. And the Bible says... How many of you believe the Bible? Every word? I believe it. The Bible says that the kings and the leaders of every nation, so in the known world, every nation, the governments would travel in. So they would hear these words from these sailors, and then they would begin their own sojourn. They would travel to Solomon's place to interact with him. Now, we don't have a lot of detail in the Bible about what those interactions look like, except in one story. And this is the story of the Queen of Sheba. 
The Bible says when the queen of Sheba heard about this, that she decided to travel to Solomon's place so she could argue with him. In other words, she was saying, my worldview is just fine, thank you. You know, I hear about his God, you know, I'm not impressed. I hear about his wisdom, I'm not impressed. I see his ships, I, I hear about all this stuff, does not impress me. I'm going to go and I'm going to show him that my worldview is just fine. I have plenty of wisdom. So the queen of Sheba travels to see Solomon. And you can read about this, by the way. And I put that in your notes, all your references, 1 Kings. And uh, the Bible says that when she arrived, she saw all of the things that Solomon's wisdom had built. She saw the entryway to this house of God that we've already talked about. And then everything else that she saw was related to a piece of furniture. Everything else she saw was related to what the Bible calls Solomon's table. And you can write that down. That's the third thing that Solomon built. Solomon's table. She was impressed by the orderliness of his table, by the abundance of his table. She was impressed by the servants and the cupbearers, everything around this table. What is that? Okay. Well, whatever it was, it was so compelling that the queen of Sheba suddenly says, Blessed be the God of Israel. When she saw the Navy, she wasn't impressed. When she heard the reputation about his God, she wasn't impressed. When she saw the wealth, she wasn't impressed. But when she saw this table, she was, in essence, made a convert. What in the world was happening at this table? The only thing we really know about this table besides the Queen of Sheba's encounter is six chapters earlier, chapter 4, you see how massive... This presentation of serving the world was at this table because the Bible says the entire nation of Israel paid tribute to supply this table. That there were 12 regions and each month one region would pay tribute to supply this table. In other words, this was not a breakfast nook little table. This was a diplomatic expression of serving the needs of the world. This was a place of diplomacy. This was a place of influence and peacemaking. And Solomon would sit at that table with the leaders of every nation. He would serve their needs and then he would speak to them about the God of Israel. Now, I want to tell you something about this. This is powerful to me. If every leader in every land eventually sat at that table with Solomon, then this next statement is necessarily true. Necessarily it's true. Some of the same kings that have fought David, his father, on a battlefield, one generation later were sitting at Solomon's table as a guest of honor. Please hear this. Sometimes we call enemies to a battlefield when God is saying, no, why don't you instead prepare a table and invite guests of honor? Let me ask you something. Is it the nature of God to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Okay, King David said that. God, it's, it is your nature. It's just like you to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And Solomon would build that table, that place where other people had fought against Israel. Those same people would come back and sit down and have a meal. And instead of, instead of bringing weapons, they would bring an open heart. And I'm going to tell you something. I really believe the strategy of the, the body of Christ, if we want to build the kingdom with God, we need to be less militant and we need to be more radical about serving the needs of people in our community. We need to be more radical about reconciliation. It was Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech 
who would say, I have this dream that the sons uh, of former uh, slaves and the sons of former slave owners would sit together. These are Martin Luther King's words, at the table of reconciliation. And I want to say this, if you guys are taking notes. A table is where we make peace when possible and we serve the needs of people. And here's a choice that we have. Make peace when possible and prepare a place to facilitate unlikely alliances. If you really want to start building a life of significance, God can do this as you and I connect with people that, that we wouldn't, you wouldn't think, man, God can use that guy? It's amazing. Or we can prepare a battlefield for our enemies. It doesn't work that well. Solomon would influence the world at this table in a way his father never did. Now, how many of you know David was an amazing leader? Okay? And I don't take anything from it. In fact, <clears throat> Solomon wouldn't end as well as David. You remember when we talked about having an inventory of your friendships and your relationships? Solomon began to choose his relationships poorly. And it began to distract him from the things of God. David ended well. In other words, I'm not here to knock David, but I do want to point something out, that there is a season for power like David, where David would conquer the surrounding nations and then establish teachers over them and kind of force feed the gospel to them, at least from the Old Testament perspective. But then there was Solomon's approach that spread all over the known world, the influence. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. If you want to build a life of kingdom significance, there are seasons for power. But always be open for the Lord to let you and me influence people by serving them and by being peacemakers. Pastor Jonathan, is that it? That's what you have? That's what I have. Well, that doesn't sound like much. In fact, if you think about what I've just told you, it's the entire Christian life. Make Jesus Christ first. Be in relationship with other believers to stimulate us to good works. James talks about confess your faults one to another. Pray together so that we can be healed, right? And then be open to receive correction. Look at what the Bible talks about, the benefits of, of being humble and being teachable. It's powerful. And then being a reconciler and a person who makes a difference in this world, who serves the needs of people. You do those four things. And then what do you do? Then you go back to this first thing. Have I made Jesus Christ first lately? Is he still my first love? And then you go back. Are my friendships still healthy for me? Are there some friends I need to invest more time in and some I need to set some boundaries up between? I'm just being honest with you guys. At least that's how it is in my life. When is the last time I've allowed somebody to speak truth that even hurt me for my own good? And then am I sensitive enough to the needs of people in this community? Am I sensitive to the homeless? Am I sensitive to the needs of the fatherless? Am I sensitive to the orphan? To that vet who, who, who hasn't had a mission since he was in the military and who has troubles that you can't possibly fathom? Be there to serve those people. Are we really sensitive and are we reconcilers? And then what do you do? Then you go back. And what you find is over a lifetime, you build something with God that's awesome. Now, Nehemiah built some awesome things with God, too. And that's why we started with the scripture. Samballat and Tobiah, these were nasty guys. They were ridiculing Nehemiah. Have you ever noticed when you and I start to do things with God, that people, it's really the enemy, but people oppose it? 
Or they ridicule, they, they talk about, this is not much, that's, that's not, that's not going to last. Well, this is an age-old problem because Nehemiah's partnering with God and building this wall and Sambal and Tobiah. I love this, you got to picture this part, they're trying to kill him. All right, Nehemiah's partnering with God and building something. And the Bible says it got so bad that he took out a weapon. He had a weapon in one hand, but he kept building with the other. No matter how much he was opposed, even when his life was at stake, he kept partnering with the Lord in building, in building, in building. Just like you and me, when we're opposed, we just don't, don't let the enemy take you and me, our attention off that wall. Let's keep building with God a life of kingdom significance. But not only that, the enemy is a jerk. He's defending his life, right? And so Sambal, specifically Tobiah, this guy, Mel, what, uh, just what a guy. And uh, so he's trying to kill Nehemiah, and he's critiquing the quality of his work. It's, Tobiah says, if a fox climbs up on top of this wall, Nehemiah, the wall will fall over. What a jerk. Okay. In the words of T.D. Jakes, the devil is a lie. <laughs> I thought it was funnier than you. The, the devil is a liar. Okay, and, and this accuser was speaking to Tobiah. If a fox climbs up on that wall, it's going to fall over. Well, guess what? Thousands of years later, in fact, in 2007, in November of 2007, archaeologists discovered the still standing wall of Nehemiah. So let me ask you, did it matter? Did it end up lasting? Of course. And the enemy of your soul wants to tell you, when you make Jesus Christ first, that won't last. That doesn't really matter. Does it really matter what friends you have? Will that really last? Does it really matter that you're teachable? Will that really last? You know, you're serving some needs here, but there's always going to be, the poor you'll always have with you. Does that really matter? The enemy will try to oppose you, but when he can't do that, he'll try to get in your head and make you think that what you're doing for God isn't significant so that you lose the battle in here and you quit. And I came to JFC to tell you it does matter. And if you'll stay faithful, it will last. Kingdom significance, a life of legacy, that is not built in the absence of criticism and opposition. But it's built in the presence of faithfulness and persistence. So whatever you have before you that God's called you to do, whether it be a father, a mother, a leader, a business leader, whatever it is, I would encourage you in every element of your life, make Jesus Christ first. Make sure you have those right relationships that can feed into your vision, you can feed into theirs. Make sure that you stay open and humble and teachable. And make sure in all you're doing that your heart is sensitive to the needs of people around you and that you're a reconciler. Those four things will help you build a powerful kingdom life. What I want to do is I want to minister, pray for you, really around those four things. I'm going to repeat those four things. And if you know in your heart that you've got to just take an inventory of what's in your life right now. And if one of those areas, and really in my case, I identify with all four. But if you identify with even one of them, when I finish repeating these four, I'm going to ask you to stand and then I want to pray a prayer over you. Okay? So the first thing is making Jesus Christ that cornerstone, that chief cornerstone in your life, that place in your life that says, Jesus, you're my foundation and the rest of the building is built in reference to where you are. 
Because I know if you're in the right place, there's stability in my life. If you, if you, it's been a long time since Jesus Christ has been your first love, or you've been radical, or you've risked something for Jesus Christ, then in just a moment, I want you to stand up. Or if you've never met Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you. All right? Second group, you, you love God, you want what is best for your life, but you know there are friendships and people in your life that are distracting you from God's best for your life. If that's you, in just a minute, I want you to stand up. We're going to pray for you. Now, this third group is tough to be self-aware. How do you know if I'm teachable? How do I know if I'm humble? So this is the way I do it. If it's been more than five years since someone has stepped into your life and hurt you in a good way for your own good, you know, said something to you that you knew it was true, and, and, and I'm going to humble myself. I won't be defensive because this will make me better. If this hasn't happened to you in, five, in a long time, then I want you to stand up with the idea being, I'm going to start searching for the truth, even if it hurts. Because I want God to speak into every part of my life. And then that fourth one is, you have a list of enemies. You know what people did to you 20 years ago. And you have kind of life worked out in allies and enemies. Rather than being a reconciler, a forgiver. Or, or if you say, you know what, I really don't think that much about the orphan. I don't think that much about the physical needs of people, about serving. I don't think about it. Well, Jesus says whatever we do for the least, we do for him. And so if any one of those four, I'm already standing because all four of those, I know I have need in all four of those areas. But if you, in, even in one of those areas, you feel like, okay, yeah, I hear that resonates in my life, then I want to challenge you right now in every campus, I want you to stand up right now. We're going to pray for you. Go ahead. Be bold. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We want to make Jesus Christ first. We want to seriously look at our friendships. So key. We want to be humble and teachable because God can bless that person. We want to be reconcilers. We want to be sensitive to the needs of people. Wow. Let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you. Lord, we make you first place, even if it's just a declaration of faith that we'll walk out later. We make this declaration that you are first place. Our focus is on you. God, help us to be just a little bit radical for you again. That our first love would be you, not money, not fame, not other things, not our own comfort. But we would build a house, a temple in our own lives for Jesus Christ. And we declare that. You are Lord of our lives and there is none other. You are first place because you don't take any other place in our lives. You are Lord of all or you are not Lord at all. And we say, Lord, today, you are Lord of all. And Lord God, those of us that are standing because we know we have friendships that are a distraction, relationships that are pulling us away from your best for our lives. Lord, we just declare right now and we say, Father, uh, we will have the courage to set up boundaries around our lives that are healthy, and, and Lord, we will have the heart to invest in the relationships that are life-giving and that make us healthier and that help us to move toward our vision and our calling in our lives, Lord. God, for those of us that are standing up because we need to be humbled, we need to hear the truth spoken in love so that we can continue to become more and more like you because that's really what this walk is all about is becoming more like you. And we know that you send people into our lives to speak the truth in love. And so those of us that are standing for that, we declare our ears, our spiritual ears, we won't just tolerate this. We will go after it. We will look for it. 
Because, God, we want to hear. Search us and know us and see if there's any wicked way and speak into our lives so that we can walk in righteousness in greater measure every day. And then, Lord, this last group, and I, I so identify with this group. If there's a person or a group of people that we just need to forgive for our own soul's sake, we just say it. Even if we don't feel it 100%, we say, I forgive them. Because you've forgiven me so much, I can forgive them that little thing. So let there be reconciliation and peace in our lives, a table in our lives. And sensitize us to the needs around us. Sensitize us to the needs of the orphan and the fatherless and the least of these so that we can get out there and touch the broken and minister, Lord, to your very heart. In all these areas, we bless you, we praise you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You guys can be seated. God bless you.